did I tell you about um, so the Supreme Court has decided? I'll I'll tell Tom when he gets on the phone. Let me call him real quick. I tell you about the Supreme Court and their whole. Um, there it goes. Uh, Supreme Court deciding to um, allow women to be. They're gonna, Hello. Hey, Tom. Hey, how are you, bro? Do you got a cigar ready? I know it's. <laughs> I, I do not have a cigar, but I have a big mug of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's late over there. I should get some bourbon, dude. So, I, um, first of all, man, thanks for doing this. I know you're busy, but I appreciate this, man. Oh, I appreciate it too. I'm, I'm happy to do it, definitely. So, Tom, you, Jason's over here next to me. Um, hi, Jason. Hi, Tom. <laughs> and you haven't missed anything, man. We just uh, we're just getting started. So, I got to tell you. So, have you had a chance to listen to any of the conversations we've been having already at all? I, I have not had a chance to listen yet. That good. I was gonna. I aimed to do it uh, prior, but okay. So, I'm on good track. For not listening. No, right? <laughs> don't don't listen to it. I don't want you, I don't want you to no. I just want you to jump in okay. here. So uh, you've probably read all the, have you read an offering of uncles? Um Rob, no. Robert no. Far Robert Farrar Capone? No. Okay. No, what about um Walker Walker Percy's Lost in the Cosmos? Yeah, a long time ago, yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna see. Where's the other one? Um what else did you, Jason? So Jason got me a bunch of books. I started asking Jason. I was like, we started talking about critical race theory. Uh, we started talking about kind of racial relationships, um, yeah. intersectionality. We, just kind of same conversation me and you were having. And yeah. and so w- when I went out to film Jason, I went out to film um, by what standard, and okay. I went out to film Glenn Sunshine. He was in the film, and in the in the process of that, I got there early to, to kind of scout the joint. Check out, see where I was going to need cameras and lighting. Well, I feel I realized Tom was just like me. He was there early too, and he was scouting the joint. But I don't know for what because he wasn't filming. But he was there scouting the joint, hanging out, and and so we bumped into each other. And we got in the car, and I remember there was this old kind of rugged building with a flag, I think, on it, like a barn. And we talked for (laughs) how long did we talk, Tom? About an hour and a half or something like that. Yeah, I think we were waiting for the other guys. I think I think you were going to film, but maybe we did a show as well. We were over at the little uh, corner pub where we got started, and out out back, yeah, there's this kind of I don't know old warehouses, strange flags kind of situation. And yeah, we we just started. I don't know. We just jumped into a conversation as if we were already having. It. Yeah, it, it was the weirdest. <laughs> it was, you know, and, is it, and so this conversation was really kind of around critical theory the whole night. And yeah. critical theory has kind of opened up this whole new perspective in Christendom where people are trying to understand what's going on. I mean, we were talking about the Gnosticism. Vodius coined the term ethnic Gnosticism. But the conversation yep. that I was having with Tom was different than the conversation that I've typically hearing happen around the issues of critical race theory and the issues inside the Southern Baptist Convention, things like that. And so we talked there for, so I thought, I'm like, man, you know, it'd be great if I can get Jason, who I've been talking to about this subject for a long time, in the same conversation with Tom, who's opened me up to a whole new category of thinking with this. And like put, it's like a gumbo. If I can put all these things together. I get to be the shrimp. <laughs> yeah, um, but so here, so here's the deal. So I was talking to Jason about just kind of the fact that um, the things that I'm seeing in critical race theory, he started just opening up metaphysics for me. And it reminded me some of the sure. conversation that we would have um, Tom and and so he gave me these books, Walker Percy's Lost in the Cosmos. I was reading it last night. And this book 
really messed me up. I don't, and I haven't finished it yet. So I don't know. Jason is not telling me. I don't, don't break this for me. He hasn't told me if he's a Christian or what he is. He hasn't told me anything about the guy yet. I know that he died in the nineties, but boy, he seems to have his hands firmly planted around our neck. Um, and, and so, but so as I'm reading this book, I'm starting to realize, um, and we're having this conversation. This is conversation three. Now I'm starting to realize guys that, um, I'm wondering is as, as messed up as we are on our metaphysics. And Tom, you can take the first stab at this. As messed up as okay. we are in our, at our metaphysics, how is it that we're able to actually operate properly with exegesis? Because Tom, you you teach yeah. systematic theology, right? That's right. Yeah. But um, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well <laughs> you just you just opened up something about <laughs> a big metaphysical aperture. <laughs> Did I? Because um, I don't. So, I, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to figure out because I'm looking at it right now, and I'm like, man, you know, when I became reformed, I'm like, wow, I got it. I'm on to it. Yeah. But now I'm starting yeah. to question if we yeah. are misplacing what we are and who we're for, yeah. then our exegesis. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a good way into that is that uh, scripture. Um, isn't merely just about digging out the surface level of the text. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean that we look for a bunch of meanings that are not there. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I think that most of my um, grammatical historical uh, friends yeah. just lost their mind and like shut you off as soon as you said that. Yeah. Again, and and usually they are, be- you know, they do because they're committed to a metaphysic that isn't biblical itself. Oh, that. you're just making it worse. <laughs> yep. And, and let that was me follow the same thing up. that I told him last week. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so let, let me make it even far worse. Um, <laughs> you can't begin to look at anything in Scripture, scripturally, if you're not reading it also in light of the reality that it is presuming, right? <laughs> um, which is not first and foremost the historical. It, I mean, what is the first? What is the first uh, sentence of scripture? In the beginning, God. Right. So there is your hermeneutical, metaphysical cue to how the rest of it's going to have to be read. <laughs> and is God to be merely understood only in terms of the manifestation of God in history, or do we have to understand from that history? a deeper something about God as God is in and of himself, whether there was a history or not. Okay. Okay. I think, let me, go ahead. Let me follow out. I mean, it's it's not, uh, I mean, reform world will know even from the the strong Vantillians that we're talking here about God as God is in himself from all eternity. Right. Um, God from everlasting to everlasting, whether God created or not, has a distinct reality and nature as God, right? Mm-hmm. Amen. That, that, that's the first principle of hermeneutics and principle of metaphysics, right? I, just so and, you know, I'm and, pouring some Talisker right now as you're talking, so I, <laughs> yeah, keep, I'm listening to you. <laughs> Well, I'll, let me come at it a different a different angle. Maybe this will help people make make a bit more sense of it. Um, 
notice in the Gospels, when we're, we're going to interpret who Jesus is, right, um, there is that redemptive history paradigm. If you want to make sense of him, we have to go back in some text to Adam. We have to go back in some text through different lineages, all those parts of the early Gospels that most of us don't like to read through, right? <laughs> but yep. then what does John's, John's Gospel do? Um, it, he actually goes, he, he, he begins at the ultimate reference point to understand all else. Because in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeah. In other words, here is a relationship between Word and God that precedes God's relationship to the creation. In other words, that Trinitarian, or well, that's the first fruits of Trinitarian thought, that Trinitarian insight that there is Father, there is Word, and we'll later learn there is Spirit, that precedes God's relation to the creation, right? So there's a metaphysical point drawn mm. out right at the beginning, that mm. if you want to understand the rest of the history of the Gospels, we have to get this right, that Jesus is not merely the byproduct of Adam, um, you know, Adam and the whole history of redemption. Jesus precedes that ontologically as one with God. And because of that, we can then read Jesus the correct way. Now, later on in John's Gospel, what do we get? Jesus asks the question, who do people say that I am? Right? Okay, so here's to my grammatical, um, historical people. They don't, they, they kind of start that kind of surface-level interpretation. Well, some say you're Elijah, right? Mm. <laughs> right? Uh, okay, covenant history, good. That's the context, and we would all be, yeah, okay, we got it, Elijah. You know, covenant interpretation, um, because he manifests <laughs> things, he shows lineation. But then, you know, there's a few other things, but then he says, well, who do you say that I am? He said, well, you're the son of God, you know, son of the living God. And blessed are you, Peter, right? Above all, at this moment, no, this isn't the foundation of the Pope. This is, this is where we actually give it a key insight. Flesh and blood, in other words, the surface, the merely historical and grammatical, if you will, did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, right? So you can, I agree 100% that we begin, we start in where we are, in the creaturely, and where the history and grammar are in terms of the reference to the core meaning of those texts in light of the historical surroundings in which they are communicated. But those things point to something else, mm. and they point to a metaphysical reality where the Trinity, in particular, is active, alive, is in, and the primary source and agent of all things, including the communication of Scripture. So, what does that mean? It means that our hermeneutic is in a much thicker metaphysical context than merely a naturali naturalistically understood historical grammatical at one level it has to be read theologically as well mm. and so it that means it has to be read in light of the actual historical i'm not historical the, the metaphysical reality that those texts are pointing to and jesus will say um if you want to understand who i am you need to understand who i am back to my relation with the father right 
so that father-son relation is cue to hermeneutically reading the historic grammatical surface the right way, right? So Trinitarian doctrine um, doesn't merely come out of reading Scripture, but as it comes out of reading Scripture, becomes a hermeneutical metaphysical frame Mm. for continuously reading the historical and grammatical the right way. So we have the realities that Scripture is telling us govern all things, incorporated in our hermeneutical, grammatical exegesis so that we are not reading those realities naturalistically or with a foreign metaphysic, but actually with the communicative agent of God as he is and is to be understood. So what we have here is, yes, historic grammatical, but what do we mean by historical? There's your, there's your first mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. place at which and so I think classically the reformers got this. I mean, look at the, look at the first thing uh, section of of Calvin's Institutes, right? Well, Calvin's Institutes, for those who who aren't aware, are not merely his systematic reflections on on you know it's not not merely just a sort of modern systematic theology. They are him taking mm-hmm. the teachings of his exegesis and putting them together in in a doctrinally sound summation of proper teaching. And then he begins with, well, you know, he says all the knowledge that we have is either of God or of creatures, right? He's drawing the metaphysical implication of what all of his exegesis just told. And then he Mm. starts to unfold from the realities that Scripture teaches how all that grammatical historical teaching is to be understood. So he's putting it in its doctrinal metaphysical frame so that we're reading those things um, in what you would almost call an interplay. It can sound very confusing, but... You, know, you don't say. Think of, <laughs> 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 but, but think of it this way. If I, if I just have the tools uh, of historic, I mean, rhetorical school, uh, skills, um, and I'm able to read the, the you know, the grammatical um, aspects of the text, Mm-hmm. make sense of their syntax and their logic and all this. Yep. And then I have a, a pretty comprehensive understanding, as best as we can, of the history of that situation. Um, is that all that we, is that all we need to get at the meaning of that text? Because if that's so, then this notion, especially in the reform world, that our minds are darkened and that our wills are distorted, um, seems to play no role in our hermeneutical approach, Right. I mean, if all you need is the ability to get after the historical context and the grammatical logic of the text, and so isn't there some kind of interaction with actually the reality of the text as well? And so here we are is dealing with metaphysics again. Is There has to be a way in which when we read that text as Christians, the surface of that text begins to open up all the things that it's referring to. Mm, mm. And that doesn't only require us having skills in history and grammar, although right. we do need those. It also requires our minds being converted and our love being renewed. So hermeneutics as well is about us being transformed to the reality that we're actually engaging when we're in this process of historical, grammatical reading of a text. So we've entered another dimension of metaphysics, 
right? Where our intelligence is needing to be uh, conformed to the content of Scripture, which is conformed to a true idea of God in all things in relation to God. And so, you know, this, so, I, I mm-hmm, go yeah, ahead, Jason. Go ahead. You were going to. Yeah, so, there's also a metaphysic of the Word of God. What what is yes. this thing that we have in front of us? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. John Calvin talks about when the word of God is preached in the presence of his people, that is that it is the voice of Jesus by the power of the spirit, right? That, that God is actually continually speaking to us. And when you go to church and you hear the Bible preached that you can yeah. confidently say that was God speaking to me that, yeah. uh, because he speaks to his people, that the word of God is not something that is a historical artifact merely that it's yeah. actually continually active, recreating the world. So, guys, let me yeah. let me ask this. Mm-hmm. As so, with that being the case, there's a there's a there's a grace in there because it's God's word that that we are able to even function, even though we don't necessarily understand um, a proper metaphysics. So, you know, broken clock, yeah, you know, yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> well, it, it, yeah. because it is actually that. It doesn't depend on us believing that it's that. It so a chair works that. whether or not you're, it's kind of like when postmodernism says like, you know, I don't believe in truth except for that one. You right. can't help yeah. but yeah. be truthful <laughs> well, because that's what, that's what, you know, that's what's happening when you make a statement <laughs> yeah. in a sentence. And right. so the, a chair, you, you show your, that you believe a chair is a chair by sitting in it. And <laughs> the word of God, you know, we, we receive it by faith. Um, we don't, receive it necessarily by understanding the metaphysic of what it is. Right. right. So we go, yeah. so we, we go to church and we listen and God speaks to us and we're receiving it by faith, by acting as if it is what it is. Not, not because yeah, we I, can explain what it is. Yeah. They, um, I mean, I think another way of saying that that point is that you don't have to grasp the metaphysical nuances to be confronting the metaphysical reality that scripture mm. is bound up in. Right. Um, like when we go in worship, the, you know, the triune God, we don't have to have a comprehensive understanding of the Trinity to understand that we are worshiping the God that scripture proclaims and and uh, and the like. So we're in, we're I think this is my my point with all this. We are um, inevitably <laughs> um, engaged with this reality mm-hmm. and this metaphysics and um, scripture itself is telling us that we are and telling us how to properly, when we look the right way, we look in the metaphysical direction that scripture itself is pointing, even mm. on the grammatical historical level, um, we start to be able to um, have an antenna for the kind of nuanced understanding of who God is, what creation is in relation to God, and then what we are as human beings and what we're to be about. Now, until we know what we are as a human in this essential sense and what the proper ends and purposes are for the human being, then we are kind of like these lost souls, right? Um, no, We have no icons uh, to guide us, you know, into that that transcendent direction. So Tom, I, mm-hmm. I think that, so then my question is because that's really helpful. So, so as I'm trying to understand and 
read through the idea of metaphysics. This is something that I even I'm so baby on this, man. Like I lost you yeah. four <laughs> minutes ago, man. Seriously. And, and, and I'm still processing it in my head. And so it's helpful. But what I'm starting to see, though, is that even though that by the grace of God, we don't have um, a good metaphysic right now as Christians. Uh, yeah. we, we are, his words, though, is still holding us. We are still able to believe that we can still we're still operating in it from a point of ignorance because, you know, but yeah. but I'm looking at the outworking of how Christendom is right now in this current state in America. Um, yeah. And I'm looking at it and I'm saying. If we actually understood a biblical metaphysics right now. Yeah, the conversation that we're having with. So. We were just talking to Jason about the idea that the Supreme Court punted on um, whether or not women should be drafted into the military. And they punted yeah. it back to Congress. Now, check this out. So Congress, they put together a committee back in 2019 on the 25th of April. Um, and they had, uh, a, uh, I don't know if you know who um, uh, Mark Coppinger is, Um but they had Mark Coppinger there. They had a few other people, a lady who was in the military. She um, had retired. She's an army vet or I'm sorry. Yeah, she's an army vet and a few other people. Um, so Southern Baptists and other people who were completely opposed to the idea of women being in the draft. Um, this committee, though, just recently came out and said, no, women should be allowed in the draft even after they heard. And if you go this out, this committee had a two hour mm -hmm. panel of people, these six people talking on it, just arguing from, you know, uh, natural law, um, the position of the Southern Baptist Convention uh, yesteryear. You know, I think Mark Coppinger even brought up a newspaper and said, if you try and rip a newspaper, um, if you go with the grain, you can get the article that you want out of it. Right. But <laughs> if you try and rip it another way. You'll rip the whole paper apart, but you can force it. You can actually force it. But even enforcing it, um, you you it, you still make a mess of the whole situation. And so, yeah. what 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 I what they end up coming out with just recently was that they agreed that it was okay for women to actually be in the draft now. And so, like, like good, good thing that the Supreme Court itself is deciding not to make laws, right? <laughs> Say, well, we'll, yeah. we'll punt it back to Congress. <laughs> the problem is that even with Congress, they're doing a horrible job too because they're like, you know, we're fine with women being in the military, or at least with combat roles. And I'm looking at things like yeah. that. That's a metaphysical problem. But the conversation that's being had right now in church, and in Christian churches, is, you know, so what, what about women preachers? And pastors, yeah, and yeah. even though we have all this great mm -hmm. exegesis, we're having a battle right now of what even women are for, even in our own context. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. We're saying, mm -hmm. we're saying, let's put women on the front lines with the spiritual battle and put them in the pulpit, right? because we have forgotten <laughs> who's who yeah. and what they're for, what 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 they are and what they're for, because but we don't know yeah. where we get our definitions but, from. And, I agree. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and so, guys, I don't mind having an exegetical fight, but I'm realizing yeah. that we're, there's something underneath this fight that's not an exegetical battle necessarily. You know what I mean? Yeah. Th they have yeah. a completely different concept um, that yeah. they can't see their own thinking. And we can't see our own thinking, but they can't see their own thinking that's driving this narrative of, by which they're even seeing the text. And yeah, so they're getting yeah. eisegeted by their own metaphysics. 
Is yes. that fair to say? Well, yeah, and I think another way of putting it is that, I mean, we have been so instilled within alternative conceptions of what is real and the nature of God that even as Christians, we tend to be functioning with these alternative metaphysics rather than driven by the actual full biblical vision of God and all things relative to God. And I think it's because, in some sense, I mean, there's a whole history to it, which I think would be another show, um, but because I think one of the things we have lost is, A, the ability to think metaphysically. I mean, look, we often, you know, um, talk about, uh, you know, the Protestant scholastic, right, for their dry, arid intellectualism. But actually, they saw something we actually can't see, and therefore, to us, it looks dry and intellectual and arid. They understood that if you don't get these nuances metaphysically right, you're going to be sleep, slipping in idolatry, mm. and yet you're going to end up, you're going to end up creating a, an alternative metaphysic, and you're going to do your exegesis in light of it. And mm. it, it is it is largely this nihilistic conception of the self um, that is that that is is driving. Uh, most of our interpretations of, of Scripture, whether we, we like it or not. And it, this is because this is a very sinister and hard God to locate because it comes in the appearance of having no metaphysics. And so <laughs> it, 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 that's what nihilism is, isn't it? The absence of a metaphysic, so we have no God to attack, right? <laughs> Explain and, that. Um, Walk that out a little bit more. You said a nihilistic idea of the self. Okay. Well, I think ahead, one way we could mm-hmm. – oh, did, did Jerry have something? Uh, Jason was over here talking. I don't know why he's okay. looking at me. Say what you got to say, man. <laughs> I was going to say this was the, the the conversation about Heidegger in the first one. Yeah, this is yeah, – yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 de- definitely. So, I mean, what you, what you end up having in the West – and I'm not going to go far down this road, but you had, you had a shift take place in metaphysics um, and in theological debate. And some of it came through the debate that Christians and other philosophers were having with Islam's uh, recovery of Aristotle's thinking. But long story short, this strong emphasis on God basically being nothing more than sheer will. God's nature is just will, right? And and so that God is not um, an intelligible being. Rather, God, whatever God chooses intelligibly is merely an expression of God's arbitrary will, governed not even by God's own nature. God's nature is just sheer brute power, right? Mm. And so all of a sudden this threw the world when it entered the Christian bloodstream into a frenzy, which part of which the Reformation is a response to, right? How do we deal with God's hidden will versus revealed will, right? This is what this change introduced. Well, anyway, let's just run down history a long way. All of a sudden, God is no long, longer understood as both intellect and will, governed by not arbitrary reasons, but the fullness of perfect reason, right? God, the mind of God. And so what happens is all of the things that God created um, started to be understood as not the expression of a of not God's will in sense of him infusing it with with in intelligibility that we bring creation towards its ultimate communion with God, right? A low God, if you will, a, a rational end for which the creation would unfold. Let me talk biblical language, pure and simple. God gave certain kinds and certain things in Genesis and commanded them to do certain things. 
this was not the imposition of a bigger will onto reality. It was a love gift from the Creator so it could participate in some mm. joy of knowing God. And so, but the way this new vision came is it became, God became an imposer of will. And we didn't know if it was good for us or not because reason couldn't help us figure it out because it's way back there in the hiddenness of God's will, right? And so what eventually happens is it becomes threatening. All of a sudden, if God is sheer will and God wills one thing one day, what if God changes God's mind the next day? And so how do I secure myself and my will, my freedom, if you will, against such tyranny? Well, I need to be liberated from it. Enter the Enlightenment Project, right? The Enlightenment is a sense in which I am able to ground my own reason in my own will, if you will, right? So the human now. The human now is basically and predominantly understood as a will, but this will is in order to be free in this new sense cannot be in any sense imposed upon by the creator. Right? So to be free means to be have nothing governing my self and will other than my own spontaneously generated self making. And so that's what you I become God. You become God, right? And God understood not as an intellect and will in union, right? But just as sheer will to power. You know, your intelligence is nothing more than the expression of your will to, to create itself. That, this is why Albert Camus in his book, Nausea, says, at the, end of it, at the end of it all, I am nauseous because I did not create myself. Mm. Yes. Right. That, yes. That, so yes. That's, that's the end of it all. The human condition is nausea. Because we did yes. not create ourselves. So can I put some – so as you're talking, mm-hmm. I, I just want to put some skin and bone on what you're saying because now I'm getting mm-hmm. the, the armature. We talked about armature, kind of the foundation of this. Um, would it be fair to say if you walk that idea all the way out, what you end up having at the end of the day is what we see inside of critical race theory and intersectionality where everything is pure power, pure will, I, I guess inside of Marxism too. Um, so yeah. mm-hmm. – but um, – we see it way before critical race theory intersectionality. We start seeing it in American history um, mm-hmm. kind of early on um, when mm-hmm. when we see the fight against slavery, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a reason yeah. that we bought all our slaves from Muslims. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay, say that again. <laughs> there's a reason so, that when we needed slaves, we went to Muslims and said, hey, we need slaves. And they said, we'll sell them to you because they – Islam means submission. I mean, it's – if God yeah. is – if God is a singular hermit that has existed before yeah. everything else, then the only proper response to him is he's the most powerful, and so we submit. Mm. If that's true, then slavery makes complete sense because the most powerful is the one you submit to. And and so when, when at, so as slavery is reintroduced, it's reintroduced by Islam to the West. Yeah. Because the West had gotten rid of it because of a Trinitarian metaphysic in the Middle Ages. Slavery quit making sense. And and, and we could say that slavery began making sense again as that Islamic notion of voluntarism entered into the theology of the West and human beings are meant to dominate in that sense of the word. And so this is very different than cultivating the creation and, and a metaphysical creation, which which I'll, I'll get to. Uh, well, uh, y'all can't just y'all can't just be going that fast past this. Real quick. <laughs> well, so th- think about it this way, right? Because he, he was talking about the importance of the Trinity existing before creation. Yeah. Right. 
and that creation flowing out of the Trinity. Well, what is the Trinity? The Trinity is an eternal, uh, an eternal relationship of loving service, an eternal mm. self-giving love to each other, right. to each other, right? right. So we, you know, he, um, in the reform world, we talk about you know um, God seeks His own glory, and that that's true mm-hmm. in a certain sense, but it's only that's only good news in a Trinitarian metaphysic. Yeah. Right. If the if the father seeks the glory of God and by that, that means that he wants to lift the name of his son up and he wants us to glorify the spirit. And if the son comes and he says, I'm going to be with the father, but don't worry, the spirit is coming. You'll love him. Right. He's he's glorifying the spirit and he says, I'm only here to lift up the name of the father. And if when the spirit comes, it says he will lift up the name of Christ and he will he will cause us to worship the father. If. If seeking the glory of God means seeking the glory of the other persons of the Trinity, then that's good news. Mm. If in, a, in, an, in an Islamic context, God coming to glorify himself, that's terrifying, terrible bad news in a strict monotheism like Islam. Go yeah, ahead, and, Tom. And, that, uh-huh, and, and connected to that is, is the, the other aspect of like something we need to work on retrieving is a classic Christian understanding, biblical understanding of proper transcendence, because that the fundamentals, this is why a lot of times we hear, oh, the early church was so steeped in, uh, you know, Greek Hellenistic thought, you know. It's, you got Jason laughing over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah making me want to spit because I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, because most, of the, most of the ignorance, of, of a comment like that doesn't realize what the church was actually up to and against, and what they're doing is they're 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 redeeming thought and bringing it into conformity to the Christian vision. They end up hammering out what is fundamentally distinct in comparison to the other philosophical visions and metaphysics, and that has to do with the nature of God and all things in relation to God. Now, mm. one of the core the core thing that creator creature distinction is so fundamental. And I want to compare the classic Christian vision, just a short, in a, in, a, in a kind of short summary, and then the alternative one that we've been talking about, influenced by, by Islam and, and some uh, problematic metaphysics that crept in uh, other places. So the classic Christian vision was such that, remember, God could exist complete, full, in sheer bliss, whether God created or not, mm-hmm. and that God is not augmented, made better, and gets nothing out of the deal when God creates. That's the Christian understanding of God. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God, the great I am. Then the big question for the metaphysical theologians in Christianity is, we understand why God is, because God is sheer plenitude of being itself. God is existence. Like saying, I understand why existence exists, right? But why, if God doesn't need anything else, is not made better by anything else, does not have more joy by making it, is not happier by making it, is not made more complete, does not have more glory by making it, because actually creation is a a diminutive, not an expansion. Um, It's not more being, in a sense. So, I mean, why in the world does God create? God doesn't need it, and God doesn't get anything out of it. And so, of course, you know, the core biblical claim is it's sheer gift. You know, God doesn't have to do it. Out of the pure delight of God's infinite bliss, God shares, chooses to share the, in a finite, for a finite 
creature something of the joy of the eternal God. It's all for the creation, and yet the creation, in order to participate in that, is created in order in the image of God, right? In uh, open to the creator who is the source of all things, the Trinitarian communion of love and perfection, right? And so this, what this sets forth is the gift character of everything created. Notice Genesis. God does this, and it's good, right? Um, what is God saying when he's saying it's good? Just it's going to carry out its function well? <laughs> or in some ways, it's, it's a place in which the goodness that God is is going to be participated in mm-hmm. in a creaturely way within the, 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 the metaphysical realm of creation. And so when all of those things are ordered in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply, do these things, what we have here is not arbitrariness, um, but mm-hmm. actual the God giving to the creation that which will allow it to, as it unfolds, orient itself towards that communion with the Creator. That, and, and notice that's mm-hmm. so good. No, you, that can't be missed. What yeah. you just said. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jason. Well, Maximus, the confessor, who really solidified our doctrine of the Creator-Creature divide, he says God created dance partners. Right. That's what that's what the creation is. God loves yeah. to dance because he's lived in an eternal triune dance. And so he creates yeah, yeah. more dance partners. And that's all of creation is more dance partners. What, what you just said, Tom, too, that's so I, I don't want that to be missed because um, I, I don't forget where you're at. But in God giving us his, hey, be fruitful and multiply, um, go take mm-hmm. dominion. Um, I think we tend to hear commands from God as um, um, weights or burdens. Oh, I have to do this. Yeah. And and I'm just yeah. now really, I think we hear it that way because our metaphysic is wrong. When we yeah. should hear it and say, I get to be like God. Right. Yeah. But yeah. I, I get and to function the way, oh my goodness, I can't believe he just told me this. And it's because <laughs> of, it's, it's in one sense or another, our our theology proper is so screwed up about who God is, that when we hear something from him, I, I can't, even Christians, most people I talk to, we hear it like a Muslim hears somebody who's dominating them. Yeah, it's like yeah. it, it's like yeah. the, the kid that hears the rules of tag and goes and hides in the yeah. corner thinking thinking he's winning, right? Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. right. And, and notice and notice the text of Romans when, when we talk about, the, you know, the judgment of God and, and the wrath of God, but, but notice what happened. Um, creation itself, Romans 1, um, you know, which, which, uh, as my sidekick Chris Wiley says, we all should be reading this month. Amen. Uh, this little joke. This, um, but, but uh, one of the things says creation itself, right? The the visible, the surface. Okay, it does point not merely to itself, but to the Creator, right? Why? Because it's it, it, it's very being, right? It owes itself, it owes mm-hmm. everything it is to the infinite source of all things. God's power and invisible attributes are clearly seen, right? Um, and the next thing is, so what, what should we have done with this? Well, notice this. Um, we became ungrateful. And I always used to say, why in the world is God so worried about gratitude and that attitude? You know, that kind of, but, but what, what you actually notice is that, that is the, that place of gratitude is the place of gift reception. Think of it just mm. in a human creaturely analogy. Someone calls you up, you've got some debt, and says, look, brother, I love you. Check, check out your debt status. I just, I just paid it all for you. 
right? What would your first response usually be? Because you'd probably be suspicious, you know. But once you found out that this really happened, you would understand. They didn't have to do it. They did it out of sheer love. You would be pretty grateful, I mean, if you had any kind of sense of, of the natural response to uh, Yeah, that's your first response. mistake. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's right. That's right. And so, and so what, what ends up happening is, is gift reception, gratitude, grace and gratitude, right? The reception of a gift. Um, worship is that place at which we truthfully enact our creatureliness in its utmost freedom because it's oriented toward the infinite source of our life and our destiny, right? Mm-hmm. So worship, worship is, is the core place of what it means to be a human in the image of God because it's receiving from God everything and by doing it is refracting his power, goodness, and light into the creation, mm. flooding it with, with his transcendent reality and creaturely form and the whole creation is flourishing. So in Genesis, that is a worship. I mean, creation is receiving its orientation to worship in the mm. way in which it flourishes as a whole and, and everything within the creation is able to participate in that goodness that it was created to be in relation to God by us taking on our proper role as those to have dominion are to be ordering things in light of the proper worship of God and the refraction of that light into the world. So what happens is when we become ungrateful and we turn to the creation to satisfy which the, you know, mm. God alone is able to, whether it's to the state or to the family or think of the obsessive relationship between, you know, some guy and some girl where they want to turn them almost into a deity and they can't live if they don't have them, right? You're, the love gets disoriented and we start serving and becoming dominated by creaturely things and wants and loves and we start to perverse the, the course of our relations and politics and everything else. So you have the outflow, right? The natural things themselves become distorted when the when we're not oriented towards God in this worship reception and loving reception of his gift of, of our createdness. And this is what we have as a rebellion. Now, the, the modern view is, yes, the impu- God basically, God is basically um, up up there, if you will. <laughs> that's their that's their understanding of transcendence. Is, is spatially up there, um, um, and basically ruling um, as a bigger force or power. And if you don't submit, you're going to hell, right? I mean, mm. this is this is the this is the kind of thing, and it's all you know, supposedly for your good, even though you hate everything about it, right? But if you go back in John's Gospel, where Jesus is actually saying, "Look, if you want to stay, if, if, if you know." Remain in me, and you will bear much fruit, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And and this kind of fruit is everlasting, right? So if you remain in me, and I remain in you, um, I am the vine, you are the branches. He keeps saying, your Father is glorified in this. And he's calling, you know, we can call God Father now. And, um, and so if you keep my commandments, notice, commandment comes in. And that sounds kind of weird, but then the next thing says, first of all, my commandment is not burdened. Right, mm-hmm. my yoke is easy. My, my burden is light. It's yeah, it's it, it, it's to love one another, not in the love is love sense, but out of the love for the creature to reach the true perfection it was created to reach in in Christ and God. Um, the next thing he says, so that your joy may be full, so you get to participate in the joy of the divine life in Christ as you keep His commandment, because they're not burdensome. They're the vehicle for the true bliss of our existence so commandment 
and bliss are together in the Christian vision. They are not. Now we do have sin and we have sure. rebellious will. Sure. That's why, that's why we kind of, we don't see them for our own good. And we're idolaters. So we, we like to find our satisfaction in the this worldly rather than, than in the fullness that God is. But so you have these conflict, you know, visions. So the modern world is basically immanentized this. In other words, no longer is, is our life to be in communion with the eternal God and therefore refract that in all that we do in the here and now. They put our happiness and our joy and our completion and our satisfaction completely within this world. And so. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. I, so I have, I have 10 questions. Keep, but keep going. Well, <laughs> <laughs> my, I came I came home from work the other day, and my sons had set up this crazy obstacle course in the backyard. They had they it, they had taken basically everything out of the garage and everything out of the basement and set up an obstacle course in the backyard. And they were <laughs> delighted with themselves, and they they couldn't wait to be finished with dinner because they wanted us to all go out and. They, and it had Nerf guns involved, and you know, so, and uh, when when you get out there, the, it, it it made it harder to run across the backyard <laughs> because there were so many obstacles. And there's so many times that we look at the commandments of God, uh, and we say, I, "You are ruining all of my fun. Right. You're ruining my life." When really God is saying. Hey, you want to know what love is, right? He's giving a description of love, and then he gives us all of these details, and they're actually this obstacle course of fellowship, right? The whole time you're yeah. running the obstacle course of fellowship, my boys are giggling, and they—they are—we, you, you are, by running this obstacle course, you are enjoying them, enjoying yeah. this gift yeah. that they've given, right? That is the law of God, right? He, when Jesus says, "My commandments aren't burdensome," burdensome, have you looked at them, like? How much joy is there involved in loving your neighbor and giving yourself away and in this yeah. it's this gift of of joy and we look at the deep I mean I have heard people stand up and say you can't understand the good, the good news without the bad news and then they start reading the bible as if that's bad news they're reading yeah, yeah. they start reading the 10 commandments you're like what yeah. Can I swear on this show? Sure. Yeah. What the hell is wrong with you? He's like, how are the Ten Commandments bad news? Right. right? The, yeah. Um, the, yeah. The, the, the law is not bad news. The law is good news because it's a description of life. It's a description of fellowship. It's a description of love. It's a gift from God. It converts the soul. There's so many things that God says about his word that we, because we're ungrateful, we receive, you know, God says, I got you a new car. And we're like, I wanted a different car. Right. Right. But that's why, that's why it says covetousness is idolatry, right? Covetousness is idolatry because it's a, everything we have is a gift from God. And so wanting something different is wanting a different God. Well, that's, it's one thing too. I was learning. So which was the same thing with witchcraft. That's really good line too. But the same thing with witchcraft, right? I've, I've, Start, you know, witchcraft. I think we tend to think of there's a voodoo doctor somewhere out there who's shaking a mm. bunch of eggs and a doll and poking <laughs> it with the pen that's got blood everywhere, you know, and a snake somewhere <laughs> wrapped around its neck. Like that's what we think about when we say witchcraft, right? Is a, and so we think Louisiana comes to mind yeah. a little bit, but I, but, but I've started to really understand more about what witchcraft is. It's trying to achieve happiness, joy, 
all the beauty of life without doing it the way that God has designed it to be done. And so in that case, you're trying to achieve and get something without going out the way that God has designed for you to get it. That is witchcraft. And so everything you're doing in one way or another is some form of magical enchantment to try and get around the way, right, this obstacle course, I'm not going to, you know, trying to get around God's standard of doing things in order to be able to achieve all the things that you're designed for. Right. There's um, a reason yeah. that superstition and spiritualism grew as the Enlightenment took over. Mm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's, that's another that's another great show. I, I actually have, yeah, I'm thinking about something on that. But an interesting point, you say that because you, you see you see this again. We, we understand for people who have... Um, well, we understand the fact that we're in we're in rebellion, right? Yeah, of, yeah. of God, so so, so we, we do have this ingratitude. We have to be weaned and 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 purified in our, our love in conformity to Christ. And so there is this putting to death and this putting on, and that that can be a painful process. But sure. yes, there is jo- there is joy in this this journey. I mean, I always think of Christ when he, you know, he he didn't get seminary and he say, "Okay, Father, if it's at all possible, can this cup be, you know." <laughs> taken from me you know this is this is no fun right now you know and but when when he understood this is the father's will right in in, in this kind of moment he hey it's the the text says he counted it a joy Mm. to pick up that cross right he counted Mm. it a joy and so i think this is the thing when when on commandments and and the the um the limit of the beauty of the created form right and they're unfolding the way god intended right marriage and, and children in those contexts. When these things, of course, are steeped in the conditions of sin, there are problems that get in. But the answer is not the contemporary answer, oh, therefore let's demolish them because they're structured around power used the wrong way. No, what you've done is misdiagnose. Sin is in mm. there, and you don't correct it by reorganizing things with new sin patterns. See, that's that's their, their way of doing it. Okay, mm. the whole system, mm-hmm. this systemic this systemic that okay so let's let's kind of ground up start over and let's do it without sin okay not going to happen <laughs> it's not even going to happen in a christian context right the church already is that episode right <laughs> isn't the church the starting of a society who is weaning off of those systems of sin and its structures and continuously trying to be oriented towards the perfection of it as God is directing it towards its culmination. And but nothing in the church has yet. ever gone wrong. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And so so the thing is that there is no shortcut to being weaned off of our idol and having our loves be purified. In other words, true theology and its metaphysics and sanctification. The power of the Spirit in transforming us through obedience to the word, but this is a living, joyful concept. When it's ripped from the Trinity and communion with God, it becomes burdensome because it doesn't fulfill my therapeutic self-indulged need. But when I love God first with all my heart, mind, soul, body, and strength, right? I dwell in Christ and my love for him, then all of a sudden, this isn't a burden, this is life-giving. Go go ahead, Jason. You were, I, it's so funny. So, Tom, as you're talking, Jason is over here. I'm watching him like count his fingers. I'm watching. He's just jumping. I'm like, just say it, man. Jump yeah, in there. So you have, say it. Yeah. Augustine talks about conversion and sanctification as the reordering of our loves into their proper place, right? So yeah, that we yeah. love things the right way. Um, and yeah. and he says God is the only thing that we love. Uh, we love. For itself, we love in and of itself. Everything else, we love 
in the way that it is a uh, something that draws us closer to God or is a point of fellowship with God or reveals God to yeah. us right is is a reflection yeah. of the beauty of God and the metaphor yeah. he uses is that God is the waterfall through which all yeah. things come all good things come and that at every point of pleasure where we where we pick up a thing and enjoy it for what it is is a yeah. way that we step into that stream and can and swim up towards the waterfall that is God's gift of himself yeah. right I, God is giving yeah. himself so I think, I think Augustine is very rich with this this material I think he's he's given us a lot with his way of thinking about it like that I think I think that's right on yeah, and like T.S. You know, Eliot. he was a black dude, right? I just want to throw that in there real quick. <laughs> he, he was, yeah, he was amen, African. Amen. I don't know amen. if he was a black African. Yeah, yeah no, no, that's okay. Yeah, he was black African. <laughs> Athanasius was a black African. Who's that? Athanasius was. Yeah. We'll, we'll take I, all of them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you, yeah. you can have all of them. Amen. <laughs> it doesn't, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, you know, like T.S. Eliot talks about the, the inability to stop and enjoy a rose is because yeah. of sin. Because we don't understand what we can't stop and enjoy a rose in the moment, um, because we don't understand that it is actually the, he calls it the infolding of the fires of Pentecost, right? That that nice. that. Yeah. We, but when we put a rose in its proper place, when so, and he says we can't enjoy it because we've got shame in the past and we have no hope for the future. Mm. But when the cross takes away our shame from the past and the promise of the resurrection in the future takes away our fear that and it's replaced. Uh, with a with a, a joy looking back and a hope looking forward, then that gives us the yep. ability to stop and enjoy a rose for what it is, and then yep. that becomes a point of fellowship because it is downstream from the waterfall of God's pleasure. This is. Can I just no. okay, as you yeah. guys are talking about this? I'm sorry, I don't mean to bring eschatology. Yes, I do. I'm gonna bring <laughs> eschatology in this because when you say <laughs> when you talk about this, this is something that's really amazing. When you talk about being able to enjoy that rose or to ex- enjoy God's world or and those things like that, the beauty of you starting to understand, you're seeing um, the work and the beauty of God in all of this. Um, do you think? Oh, I'm getting so much trouble with this. I'm just, let's just go yeah, for it. Yeah, let's do it. I, I, is 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 the idea of our metaphysics creating an eschatology unintendedly that takes all those things away from from? Um, it's intended by Satan. Okay, well, that's quick. <laughs> I'm sorry, did I get you in more trouble? <laughs> well, yeah, but, but that's what. I, but I mean, so. Um, there seems to be an eschatology. A lot of eschatology I see right now is people always uh, talk about folks who lean, lean post-millennial as if they're reading their theology, their eschatology back into all of their theology. But yeah. I don't I'm, I'm looking and seeing, though, your eschatology is inescapable for how so post. So dispensationalist, there is no care for the world. Right. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. be able to understand and enjoy that rose for why? Do you do you want to do you want to go first? Yeah, you, uh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a few lines of thought that come up with the the, the issue of, of eschatology here, and, and and I think you hit on something very correct. I, I think what happens here's here's a metaphysic issue. Um, a lot of times we have tended in in the contemporary world to have more of a Gnostic reading of a metaphysics of creation than a properly Christian one. Mm. Um, and, and so, I mean, let, let's just use the set, let's do a metaphysics of the gospel, right? I mean, just, just 
of creation from the gospel. Christ is resurrected bodily, okay? Mm. There, there, there is a continuity. I understand that it's continuity, but also continuity in a new way, right? Um, transfigured, uh, glorified, deified, whatever tradition you're coming out of. And so, but what you have here is a vindication of that created order, which says mm. everything everything here is such that it's not some super spiritual, um, um, mm. you know, just immortality of the soul. What yeah. we have here is actually the, the body resurrected. And so what we have is, is something that shows that, you know, the first fruits of creation, the restoration and renewal of creation. There, but that doesn't, you know, I the, the you know I can see all the Dutch running in here now. Say, see, see, it's all about you know um, uh, this worldly looking kingdom just extended into eternity. No, it's also a glorified state. So it, 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 it's kind of it's not Augustinian naturalism as some sense it calls. Um, but what we have is is oftentimes we think of okay now that Christ has come, the church and the kingdom of God. Therefore, everything that creation was about has been superseded. You know, mm. so no longer is marriage. I mean, it, maybe it's a it's a default position, but the real thing is to kind of be like Paul and not be attached to anyone, right? And so, so you start to have this this kind of eschatological um, negating of the old created order, rather than a fulfillment uh, of mm. it, or a if you would say a proper enjoyment of it. Um, and so, and so, what you get is this. Fight now. Think of it this way. Let's just let's, let's rush it into contemporary politics. Yeah. Um. A a conservatism that doesn't have a sound Christian eschatology will take the created order as in its fallen state as natural, and will say, okay, we can't shake anything. In order to, we we don't challenge any of the sin in the in the world. We just need to preserve these traditions, right? And then the eschatolog, the person with eschatology who has an improper biblical metaphysic of creation says, no, wait a minute. Everything is transformation. We need to change it. We don't know what we're changing it to, but we just need to change to move forward. <laughs> so we don't, we don't have any kind of creation governing the shape and form and fulfillment in eschatology. And so we have in our culture a war between the pure, a Gnostic kind of eschatology fighting a kind of a naturalistic um, uh, understanding of creation. And so that's where a lot of the tension lies, where a proper Christian theology is one that understands and orders those the right way, is, yes, creation, given good, but those orders and forms and kinds are not eradicated at this point. They find their fulfillment in um, the kingdom of God. And so they are to be preserved, but they are to be weaned off of the idols and their love purified so the household can properly, for example, attest to and be a, be a, be a, a place at which the glory of God is manifest towards what God has communicated through that ordering of, of the creation. And so, so the, the eschatology and, and the metaphysics of creation need to be held in, in a kind of, you know, I think resurrection is the paradigm. Mm. That there is a vindication of creation, and yet there is there is a heading towards that something more, that com- that eternal communion with God, which creation finds its perfection. Yeah, I, I, I think the at some point we'll have to talk about how World War I separated the doctrine of total depravity to the right and the doctrine of the progression of the eschaton to the left, but 
we'll talk yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, why, why, why are you saying yeah? What are you guys reading? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know, I know. But, Don't you hate that? I'm like, what? And I, but I think what this has to do with metaphysics is you go all the way back to our our Trinitarian theology. If If Jesus is begotten of the Father, but he is not yeah. less, right? He is, he is uh, the perfect... That, that he can be begotten of the Father and be the the perfect uh, representation or the perfect communication of the Father. Yeah, we don't have to have a historical progression that moves downward. Everything yeah. in the ancient world had a historical progression that the further you got from the source, the less like the source you begot. But mm. You became right the, as you as you move from further from the source, you become less like the source. But and that was because of their metaphysic, the the metaphysics of limitation of being. And, and but if we have an infinite eternal God who is uh, uh, the Father, who then begets the Son, and the, then the Son and the Father together, um, the, the 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 Spirit proceeds from them, and none of them is less than the source. Right, the Spirit is fully God. The Son is fully God. The Father is fully God. You don't have less because of progression. Then we can have a history that does not move downward where you have less and less and less. We don't have to look back to a golden age. We can actually say, well, no, the Father is present by the Spirit just as much now as he was in the 16th century, just as much now as he was in the in the uh, 13th century. It, you you don't have to have a progression downward. You can in fact have a progression upward. We it, move towards uh, towards maturity, not away from it, so that the New Jerusalem can be greater than the Garden of Eden, and the New Jerusalem is still to come. And then, by faith, bring the New Jerusalem into the present. You know, this is uh, is this instinct. So I didn't come to my eschatology the way that I think most people did. Maybe this is why I'm a little. I came there through what I believed about the gospel. If a man in sanctification, if a man is become a completely new creature that has been redeemed and come back to the position of what God intended him to be from Genesis, and 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 even now made new in Christ, right? And he's living in Christ. Then the sanctification process that he goes through doesn't go down. Right. It goes, yeah, up, it goes up. Right. Sanctification works towards being like Jesus. Well, unless you're some sort of Gnostic, that sanctification has to live in real time in the real world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I yeah. called I called yeah. you the other day upset about that. The comment that I read on that blog about uh, the um, not being able to get the ghetto out of. Be, we can get we, I, yeah, yeah well, no, you can get no. the ghetto out of somebody but you can't get the you can't, you can't yeah. get the person yeah. out the ghetto you can't get the, yeah you can get the person out the ghetto but you can't always get the ghetto out the person yeah right? well, he, was I about, oh, yeah. he was talking about christian rap and, oh christian rap yeah 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 and, yeah. I, and I called i was, I was pissed you off. were you were pretty upset about that <laughs> and um but, and but it's because um it, that's acting as if um god is not giving the gift of community there, right? That that somehow, like there, that no matter where we go, if the image of God is there, then God is is opening something about Himself to us in that moment, right? And mm. and um, right, what, I remember you. Got, you need to explain this a little bit more. So you know, people have seen Christian hip hop, 
um, th- this is really important. And and so, Tom, do you listen to Christian hip hop? You don't? I don't know if you, that's your, your. You might. You remind me of a jazz guy. I feel like you're more. I am a jazz guy. Yeah, it's I I, I listen to I a lot. It. The uh, jazz kind, is getting kind music of too. That's right, but I listen to a lot of hip hop indirectly through my 21 year old. So. Oh, praise <laughs> God! Um, but but, so, but this person was lamenting because they had felt like they had they really didn't like hip hop at all. But they felt yeah. like that they had had to endorse some artists with hip hop because they saw so much didactic theology through the hip hop artists. And so hip hop, yeah. they were like, well, shoot, I see the work of the spirit happening there. So I got to say hip hop is a, is a good thing. And so now that hip hop artists have decided to, uh, it seems like the cultures in the world they live in, they sound like the, a lot of them on the social justice side. And I want to, I want to give a little warrant and say, guys, I know that it sounds like that, but you gotta, this, that's not what they're, just because they can sound like somebody else, they're not actually, um, holding for the same answers as other people are. But there's a problem yeah, that they're trying to point to that's saying this is a legit problem. And sometimes the only people who seem to acknowledge the problem are the left. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. honestly, if, yeah. If somebody in Brooklyn says, hey, Reaganomics didn't work for us, and we feel like they're attacking the gospel, that's our problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But but yeah. Lauren, Lauren Hill, back on the miseducation of Lauren Hill. Preach it, brother. I'm sorry, great, go ahead. That's a great <laughs> One album. of the best R&B albums of all uh, time. Top my, one. My favorite song uh, is Every Ghetto, Every City. Every Every Ghetto, Every City on that album. And uh, he when she says, by the way, she's a great poet. Like yeah, oh yeah, poetically, absolutely. she's a great if rapper. If she wrote it, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> that's another don't, story. That's inside. Please don't mess with that's my inside. <laughs> yeah, that's the Fugees. I, anyway, go ahead. I don't want to know. That's true. I, just, <laughs> I like her so much. Uh, she says, "I was just a little girl, skinny legs, a press and curl. My mother always thought I'd be a star, but way before my record deal, the streets that nurtured Lauren Hill made sure that I'd never go too far." Every ghetto, every city, every suburban place I've been make me recall my days in the New Jerusalem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Right. That's good eschatology. Mm. Right? She, oh yeah, she is remembering forward. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, because because mm. she's you better shut up because <laughs> she's <laughs> she's tasting the New Jerusalem in advance in her neighborhood. My right? goodness, she looks back and she says. Man, the the fellowship was good. The joy I had. I mean, I remember the neighborhood I grew up in had a whole pile of kids, and we would go out and sit on the curb and just wait until we had a crew big enough to go do something. And then we'd say, what do you want to (laughs) do? Right? We'd go out and we'd dig holes. We'd go – sometimes we'd go get a rope. We we used to see how much change we could get. See if we could go buy a rope at the at uh, Ace Hardware, and so that we could tie it on the back of somebody's bike and drag each other around on skateboards. Like it was it was an incredible neighborhood to grow up in because mm-hmm. it was it, it smelled like what heaven will be like. Right? It it reflected yeah. it in advance. It was just this joy of what what does today hold? Right? Eternity is going to be this joy of. What do you want to do today, Brain? So, so flesh that out, though, about <laughs> of why you were so upset with the guy who was talking about, like, because he, he retracted his support. Yeah, for, so he, he retracted his support um, and, because he said, you know, I thought that they were, I thought that they were in my tribe. Mm-hmm. Right? I thought that they were one of us. 
but it turns out they've got a couple of ideas that are different, so they're not one of us anymore. Instead of saying, like, oh, my gosh, we believe some of the same things. They have a different experience. What can that teach me about God? How can, that, how can I grow yeah. in this moment with somebody that speaks a different dialect than me? And um, you know, show Baraka in his new book, which is really good. Uh, he, oh, now I can't think of the name of it. It's a great book, but it's just he, he says um, that, you know, I, I got this new record deal. I start touring around, and uh, it's great, except for I'm, I'm around this whole group of suburban white kids, and, I, and I'm having a really hard time connecting with them because of how I grew up in Atlanta, right? And he, yeah, said that, yeah. and he said it was wonderful, but every time I tried to— He saw that it was good, his name of the book. He saw that it was good, yeah. It's a great book. He starts talking yeah. about um, trying to connect with them, and he's like, I just couldn't. I didn't know how because I was too young, right? I, I, I was too mm. young to be able to— imaginatively get into their space. They were too young to be able to imaginatively get into my space and really struggled with, well, who am I? Am, and am, mm. am I, am I taking on, am, am I taking on somebody's culture and pretending that the gifts that God gave me through how I grew up are not gifts. And it wasn't yeah, until I grew up and matured that I could say, no, they were, they really were gifts. I don't have to pretend that God yeah. didn't meet me in the way he met me. Right, I don't have to take on somebody else's culture. Uh, mm. it, it, I I can look back yeah. and say, no, Jesus met me right there, and that was good. And then Jesus met yeah. them right there, and that's good. And there's actually an analogy between it. I don't have to pretend I'm somebody else. Right, that is mature. Mm. That's what maturity looks like: is to see the work yeah. of the Spirit in my life and say thank you. This is interesting because I think right now. Yeah. Uh, um, Tom, you can jump in here anywhere too, wherever you want to. But I'm I'm watching um, the problems of racial issues in America, even across people who you would think would have something tighter knit than race itself inside the idea of the gospel. I'm watching yeah, the split yeah. happen with us, and then watching the split in the nation. I, I'm I'm finding it quite amazing, honestly, that what has been done. On the conservative side, in the name of rooting out critical race theory, has blown my yeah. mind in the time frame that they've been able to do it. Now, listen, I am no poster yeah. boy for the subject. I'll tell you yeah. right now, like <laughs> I don't like it. But yeah, I, I'm, yeah, sure. I, it, we talked about this a little bit on the last show too, Tom. Is that I, I look at critical race theory as a pimple? Yeah. Um, we right now, I think in Florida, look, everybody's praising the governor of Florida and I get it. I know I see what he's doing, but some of the things that we've been talking about as far as like just pure power leading the day or the idea of, yeah. um, you know, if you're going to get rid of critical race theory, but then leave the, the mother bee that produces all of the, the honey, yeah, yeah. uh, like evolution in place. Then you yeah. really haven't got at the root of the problem. Yeah, and yeah. so well here, go ahead. Yeah, here, here you here you bump up against I think the problem of well of the West and now globally is this metaphysical issue, these sets of metaphysical issues. There is a connection between gutting teleology that there are there is a real moral and created order which is made to function and excel and and flourish in certain ways. And if you eradicate that from the way in which people understand themselves in the world, something else comes in. 
Well, mm. if there is no if there is no real natures out there to be a human nature that I have to have to orient myself towards, not not in a in a you know blind servitude, but actually for the perfecting of what I'm created to be. Well, it, if if there isn't, then I get to you know nature and matter and all everything else becomes Plato for me to put my project on and for my gratification, my advancement, my dominance, my expression, my re- whatever. And so I, I often saw this too uh, that when I, re- I remember when the, the uh, presidential elections were going on that that although you know there like there was some talk of you know restoring Judeo-Christian values and 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 the like. Um, it was so close in just how everyone has great opportunities now, like better than they ever had. Mm. And I'm thinking that materialistic, that materialistic um, vision that man can basically live by a lot of bread, <laughs> right? Mm. Is exactly why you have people starving for some higher moral order on the left, because it doesn't satisfy. Yes. Less people are jobless. There's more money around, but guess what? They still are starving for some kind of, of, of moral, spiritual order that is more than just having more opportunities for their kids in the future. Yeah, giving, you know? all, giving all the zombies more brains doesn't solve the problem. That's, that's right. That's right. And so where is the spiritual vision? And that's, I think, the, 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 that's what needs to be recaptured and recovered is the... the authentic metaphysical spiritual vision of scripture and its fullness which which is going to go back in those territories and say look darwin was built on not science but flawed metaphysics which can be easily dismantled and why we still hold to it is pure sheer dogma and nothing more it's not even it's it's bad philosophy here i'm not talking about the mechanics of, of how you know um how different things unfold in their environment. I'm, reach, talking reach about, out. I'm talking about the fundamental metaphysics of naturalism and materialism that underwrites that whole project and indirectly underwrites even conservatives in this, in this culture. Mm. And, uh, and, go ahead. What were you going to say, Jason? And, oh no, you just, uh, you just, you, <laughs> you got me dancing over here. I, that's, I've been, I've been trying to tell, say that. For a long time, Darwinism yeah. is not the problem. Darwinism mm. is evidence of the problem. Yeah. So, Dar- yeah. so wait, I'm looking at critical race and saying, "Oh, that's the pimple." You guys are like, "Oh, Knox, <laughs> no, no, Darwinism yeah. is the pimple." Well, even even you know our definition of race, it, we yeah. got from Darwin, right? Darwin yeah. is the one who lays out our definition of race. Yeah. Uh, you get you you get into the Middle Ages and. They have different issues, um, but race isn't one of them. And you think, well, why is that? Well, it's because they didn't have the same metaphysic we have. They they yep. don't have that Gnostic, yep. the Gnostic climbing up the uh, chain of being that Darwin had. Yep. And then he just yep. arranged the, the races along the chain of being. So here's a question then. So is our Christian ethic Gnosticism in a lot of ways? Because we're... I, I, I th- Go ahead. Yes, I, I think I think you're right. I think we we've been working off of Gnostic assumptions. Maybe a good way we we've gutted a thick, robust, biblical, Christian theologically understood creation. Um, what creation is, what we are, and what our natures are, the kinds of things we are, and the true purposes, proximate and ultimate, 
I mean, even Westminster held on to that kind of stuff, the confession, right? What is the chief end of the human, right? Um, they understood. They're talking teleology there. Now it's all about your self-fulfillment. Um, does this make you kind of, um, you know, are you recognized? You know? Um, <laughs> I like are, how you sung that. <laughs> are you recognized? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I, could turn it, I could turn it into a church song very quickly, sadly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but but the, the Westminster Shorter starts out like, what are you created for? Joy. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. that's a Trinitarian yeah. metaphysic answer. What are you created for? Yep. Joy. So, the attitude. Yep. So, guys, well, so there's a there's whole lots. Of, so, I feel like there's a whole lot of implications <clears throat> from what we're saying because even from what you're saying, the way that we think about our evangelism then needs to change as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, so the way that we because first there was like nobody's evangelizing, and the reason that people weren't evangelizing, the main reason why law kind of law gospel in the modern era. Uh, became so popular. I think Ray Comfort was one of the first guys to really help it come out. And it was very helpful is because no one had a standard or a point list that was so effective in communicating to another person about the gospel, yeah. sin, hell, righteousness, judgment. Yeah. We didn't have um, a, a way to communicate to somebody when we talked with them that was a script in one way or another that we could follow that would get those to the, the, the their sin, the cross and the gospel, death, burial, resurrection. And, when, and so I remember it was about 25 years ago, really like Ray Comfort was like law and gospel. That's the standard. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen anything? And so we were able to bring them under the condemnation of the <laughs> law. Right. And then from yeah. there, we can give them the gospel because yeah. they were dead. Yeah. And, and so that gave us a way to communicate to them where they can see. But the, but but the, the reality is we were still converting back other people's children. Right. We were converting back people that had fallen away. We weren't well, you, you, but, but now inoculated we, Christians is what you're talking about. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, so now yeah. We're, we're trying to convert heathens. Right. And and, yeah. and, and, and in a sense, we're even trying to convert it, it, it's heathens, but heathens that are um, come on an, you know, in, in a historical episode that is post Christian, which even mm-hmm. this is what I meant by the nihilistic situation is much more difficult i mean think of i mean i remember this is what jason <laughs> jason yeah. it's so funny jason would talk about this sometimes it, it, his short answer for this was uh we just need to get people to be good pagans again yeah. like I mean, if we can get people to be good pagans again it'd be a little convert, easier yeah i know how to convert a pagan i don't know how to convert these people <laughs> <laughs> that's right well but well but, I mean, if you think about um you know the early church when it goes out i mean under the command i'm the lord your god you shall have no other gods before me and christians understood this course you know, bound up with Christ. And so, you know, to be baptized was to go enter spiritual war with the gods all around, right? To go mm. evangelize and baptize, turn over idols and, and all the worship that isn't towards the one God. I mean, that's, you know, and then bring into conformity, renew um, or redeem um, those which actually belong to, to God, which is everything about the creation, even the thoughts and ideas of places that had prior to had no confrontation with the Hebrews or Israel could now be brought back into their proper orientation, serving the truth in God. I mean, this was one of the things. Well, when Christianity become recognizes, this is what Nietzsche recognizes. Christianity is, um, is total in the sense that there is no place that is not under the Lordship of Christ. Right. And, well, uh, and, and you say Nietzsche recognizes. 
he did. He was jealous of it because he thought Christianity actually brought into it this kind of um, this weakness that the, that wasn't compared, didn't recognize for like for him that God should be seen as basically sheer power wow. rather than 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 um, you know the, the you know the fullness of, of of being that God is. And so, what for him is, um, but but the nihilism that kind of comes in and floods this post. Um, Christian world, if you, if you will, or this world in which Christianity is kind of receding and it is kind of filling that space um, in the withdrawal that you know Christianity leaves behind. Basically, is is it produces this culture basically of nihilism, but death. Um, and, and so, what there, there is, look mm. at the look at the kind of the. the this is what uh, you were saying. Not only are the Christian values gone, but the way in which Christianity carried on those pagan virtues in a way that allowed them to be brought towards, you know, they're being redeemed, well, they go too. So now all of a sudden, just to do math well is seen as a problem. Or just Because <laughs> we don't have just, a metaphysics you know, that can support that much reality. That mm. much reality. And, and so no, everything now mm. has to be destroyed and dismantled, brought back to the chaotic, and the chaotic for them is this kind of abyss of nothing in which somehow it serves as a kind of orgy, if you will, of spiritual energy that they're going to spontaneously, if you will, create a, a, a you know, a kingdom where their will will be done. I mean, that, that's like why Tower we, you know, Babel need, all need, over again, though. It's, like, it's kind of like a another version of the Tower of Babel. That's right. And, and it's so thick. I mean, this is your point that that it was much, I'm not saying easier in terms of the spiritual confrontation. But for, for the early Christians, there were at least things to point to that they were able mm. to, to attack, attack, and show a better way. I mean, Paul could go in and say, look, you've got a temple here to the unknown God, right? Well, today I'm going to—what you know as, you know, as an unknown is going to uh, blow your world, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal this truth to you, who this is you've been worshiping in ignorance, which is its own interesting um, claim. But then today, I mean, we're, we're dealing with their— Everything that Christianity presupposed um, that it could make as some kind of communicative attempt to share the gospel has basically been implicated in a new way of understanding things where Christianity itself is nothing more than the usurping of its will onto mm. the society so, so that it can dominate. It's been caught up in that Nietzschean nihilistic power metaphysics that, that basically there is nothing more than power and power is to be read always as dominant um and <sighs> so christianity's attempt to speak truth to speak reasonably um to say anything is nothing more than you imposing right just like the voluntaristic god imposing oh god's goodness. will on creation you are imposing your truth your meta narrative you're trying to make your your particular narrative a meta narrative. You know, and, so, and, and, and this is this is how we see Christians operate, though, in politics. We we've yep. allowed ourselves to be co opted by nationalism. Yeah, yeah. Which is this and, nihilism and, that, that 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 Thomas is talking about, right? right. And so then when we operate, nationalism says we'll give you an identity. The most powerful yeah. group here is your identity now, right? Yeah, and, and so yeah. we get a nationwide identity. And, and so, okay, so then, okay. Um, but, but the problem is, we say, when we say something like that, what happens is Christians say, yeah, that's true. 
Instead, I'm going to go with the internationalists, progressives, and say, yeah, because yeah. we think those are the two options. Instead of saying, yeah. well, no, no, Christianity is a converting religion, right? So yeah. Christianity doesn't come in and prop up other mm. uh, other uh, other metaphysical narratives. Christianity doesn't come in right. as a prop. Christianity comes in and says, now nah, Jesus says he wants it all. So he binds the strong man, right? He binds the strong yeah. man, and what we yeah. have is is when nationalism failed, the culture uh, tribalized, right? Yeah. And so now everybody yeah. doesn't get their identity from being an American anymore. There are some places where you can go, and yeah. they're still getting their identity from uh, being an American, but they get their identity from whatever smaller tribe they're a part of. The reality yeah. is, if you study church history, Christianity, the the church has known what to do with tribes, right? We've gone yeah, in and yeah. converted them, but but yeah. we converted them with poetry. We converted them with storytelling. Okay. We converted them by coming in and saying, "Hey, let me t- let me tell you." Right, Augustine of Canterbury. He shows up. He writes letters back to uh, uh, Gregory the Great, and he and he says, "I don't know how we're going to convert these people." They uh, I invite them to church, and they they bring a goat to sacrifice. Right, they bring a sheep to <laughs> sacrifice. <laughs> like this is not. We we were having philosophical conversations with the Greeks. Uh, 10 years ago, and now I'm over here. I don't know what to do. Gregory the Great writes back, and he says, and he says, oh, build a barbecue out in front of the church, right? When they bring that sheep to sacrifice, take it out front, kill it, barbecue it, and give it back to them, right? Have a fellowship meal because then, oh, then wow. they'll know that they're not, yeah. they're not worth coming to a God that takes from them. They're coming from a God that gives to them. Their metaphysic yeah. is wrong. They don't have a Trinitarian yeah. metaphysic yet of gift, of joy. And, and yeah, and, and notice how what happens there is he took something that was within their 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 tribe and their their social imagination, and he didn't say, "Okay, get rid of that." He brought it back to the proper ordering of that within mm. a Christian a yeah. Christian. Like, okay, so no, I, no, no, I was no. this fuzzy headed, fuzzy headed punk rock kid that came in, and somebody started reading the gospels to me. And I was like, "Jesus is way more punk rock than I ever am going to be." So, so let's do that real quick. So, how do we do that? Because that's man. Okay, so you remember the emergent movement when it came out, um, and kind of the cool. They had an element to this that I think evangelicalism saw, but because of their theology, it was like we ain't touching that with a ten foot pole, <laughs> right? Right, like for the, good, no, yeah, for yeah. good reasons. Yeah. For good reason, they were yeah. valid with that, and so yeah. everything about it got rejected. And then you got these other yeah. guys who have no foundation, no theology, but are just willing to bring it all in. So, th- in one sense, they would take the goat and say, "Hey, cool, yeah, th- gotta take your goat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll put it on the yeah. worship band. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that, right. th- you know, that's right. this kind of. Yeah. So, we'll, how, we'll paint it gold. We'll paint it, it gold and we'll put it up front. <laughs> exactly. Everybody bow. This is your God. See, we're a part yeah. of the team. But how do you? So, what are the? What is the goat right now in the culture? That you guys can see, and how do we take that and do that very thing where we take it and have the barbecue? What? How do we? Because we need to be communicating like that, and I, and I guess in one way or another, first we need to figure out how to do it with the church because it's mm-hmm. that's where we're bleeding. The church is bleeding in the culture. The church, in one way or another, yeah. has made the culture post-Christian, <laughs> right. right? And so, how do we do that first with the church, reestablish the metaphysic, and then how do we do it to the culture? Well, I think I think. Uh, that in terms of the church, we have mistaken church growth for for maturity, 
at, in terms mm-hmm. of ordering, right? So explain, yeah, explain it. Um, you've got this really interesting. I think it's number six where um, when the test for adultery, right? That you mm-hmm. come in, you scrape the you scrape the um, the the law, the the ink from the law. You write out the 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 vow. You scrape it into the water, and the woman drinks it, and and then she begins to grow. And if she grows but isn't actually pregnant, then you know she's committed adultery. That is the nineties. Okay, that is the, the church in the nineties. Okay, right, where we committed adultery, and then God said, "Let's test it." We grew, but we didn't actually ever have children. Right? Mm. We the, it, there wasn't a true that we we mistook church growth for faithfulness. When faithfulness, what does it look like? Well, it looks like maturity, and specifically, it looks like the next generation having the law of God written on their hearts, right? But eighty percent of the children fell away that generation, right? And that and that that was the the southern. I, you, you, you sent me that, right? Yeah. The Southern Baptist Church did a study. Eighty percent of the children of the of the generation that was into church growth walked away from the faith. But it was an enormous church growth movement where the church got really big, but the children walked away. So we know wow. that there was adultery going on, right? A, well, a, good thing we don't believe the Old Testament anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I think so. Um, so that I think that's that's just a diagnosis of the problem now. Please fix it. <laughs> Tom, he just set you up to fix it. I like how he did that. Right. <laughs> so you got a woman who just blew up and don't have a baby. <laughs> now what do you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm going to back up a little bit because I think you both, uh, you've, you've said it already, is that that, again, is the expression of something that's already gone wrong and and um, and a church that has really gone gone wrong. And, I mean, I think I think one of the keys is, first of all, we can't, we can't, look at this the way I, I think contemporaries are and say, okay, we're going to fix it tonight. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to recognize like the left did with its, its spiritual perverted spiritual uh, vision. They, they took the long game. Mm. Um, we, we have to start um, retrieving certain things um, from scripture and then the, the church is thinking about this stuff and learning also, I think, from the wisdom of the church, not turning them into the same as biblical writers, but looking at the way that when they confronted the gods and and the like, how they understood the role of a distinct Christian vision in engaging that those gods, both in, in, in confronting the idolatry but also finding those echoes of creation in which they could bring back into a redemptive picture and show how Christ is the fulfillment of the desire of all nations. And so this is that total vision in which Christ is Lord, not only of the special revelation and its centrality, but also the echoes that are found in, in all the voices from every culture, steeped in idolatry, yet when they've been brought into conformity to Christ, they can begin to order their distinct, um, place within within the echoes of creation that God has given them as a gift to to the whole church. That's one side. That's a big plan. Mm-hmm. Nietzsche was jealous that this was Nietzsche was jealous of this. Christianity could do this in a way of turning to a different way of relating to power than the way he wants to. 
And so it's going to be very hard because there is going to be this agon, this struggle between doing this and those who are who are basically trying to assert their own will to power. So we're going to have to distinguish um, ourselves in some way. Um, and I think this is, again, this is the way in which we begin to manifest what a life looks like oriented towards the true nature of transcend- mm-hmm. God's transcendence. Um, C.S. Lewis once brilliantly said, um, if you aim at the world, right, you end up losing your, your own soul. But if you aim at heaven, you end up gaining your soul, but also the whole world. And, and his point was is that as we orient ourselves as Christians, not merely towards how Scripture makes me live my best life now, not simply towards how it addresses my existential and therapeutic needs, but is actually the way in which I've been made to mm. have the very stamp of transcendence in all that I am and do. If Christ is lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. How? I mean, the form of lifting him up on the cross is probably, from the world's perspective, the most hideous, isn't it? It looks powerless. It looks mm. mangled. It lo- mm. You know what I'm saying? It, looks, it, it was the yet, thing Nietzsche hated the most. Hated the most. And yet here is a, a kind of, of power that's in resources, and, and it grounds a people that there is no competitive force within fallen creation to, to stand up against. So, number one recapturing the church's true transcendental vision. That does not mean just saying, okay, God's transcendent, but it's thinking about the significance Mm. of that relationship in every arena of life. Number two, from that light, understanding the nature of creation as gift and understanding its very form and function as part of the unpacking of that gift. We don't fight Mm. against it. We seek to bring it into conformity to Christ and it will become a, a further transcendent reference point to th- that aim, which all creation should be aiming to because it's what it was created for. In other words, we need to be a people who are shining that one thing that we have that no one else has, right? What is the one thing? When they saw Jesus and they gave up everything and followed, it wasn't because he was just a great philosopher. It wasn't because, I mean, yeah, he was a great teacher, but, you know, by the time they said, you know, okay, come and die— Usually that's going to run people up. They saw something in this pearl of great Christ that, that was the everything that was the answer to what they are and what they're here for. It's the everything. They saw a glimpse of the transcendent beauty and, and bliss of God in him, right? Let my joy be in you, right? I mean, this is the very thing. Remain in me. You're going to remain in this. Yeah. And so this is that set of riches. That when people are out looking for pearls and they see this pearl of great price, they give everything up and they follow. And the hard part of this is this is nothing we can just put on a platter. It's something we have to reorient our whole lives around. This is what true discipleship is. It's conforming to the transcendence of God in such a way that every one of our loves are ordered to refract that centrality. And by doing that, we refract that that transcendent light in the world, and it does its thing. Go ahead. Amen. I, I, that, yeah, Herman Jason's Bob- over here pulling out his wallet, <laughs> giving you an offering right <laughs> yeah. now, just so you know. Amen. Amen. Herman Bavink in his dogmatics says that Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament, but he's also the fil- fulfillment of every hope of the pagans, right? That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm. which is, and so, 
Amen. Hands down. I just want to add one thing. We also need to remember what is coming in the resurrection, right? Remember into the present what God promises is coming into the resurrection and by faith say, well, this is what it's going to be like someday, right? When I'm raised from the dead, I will use my hands in this way. And so I'm going to begin using my hands right now in the present the way they will be used in the Mm. resurrection. I'm going to begin living the life that I have coming now. So we we remember the coming future into the present by faith. Yeah, I I hate both of you. (laughs) You know, you know, as you guys are as you guys are talking, part of me is like, um, I was reading. What was I reading last night? Was it? I think it was Walker Piercy, Lost in the Cosmos. And he starts, huh? There's no going back. There's no going back after (laughs) read this book. And I think I'm trying to find the place that I highlighted because it almost it really did bring me to tears. And he started talking about the ordinary, um, the ordinary table. He's I think it was uh, he says Home and Garden magazine. They had an article about 50 ways to make a a coffee table, and they had. you know, the telephone pole lines that hold the wire that's used as a table, crab catching things are used for a table, just all kinds of weird things that are used for a table, except mm-hmm. an actual table that had uh, mm-hmm. an actual board that had four legs adjusted to it, you know, and and he, and he goes and he says, why is it that basically um, we are we 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 don't want to use a regular table a board that has four legs and it's because we've become. Um, mundane for the most part with the ordinary. The thing that that was designed to do a particular thing, we've because of us being soul suckers, you know, it, yeah. it is sucking the life out of. We've become bored with this amazing thing that has a yeah. structure designed for it. And 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 this is what he says. He says the ordinary four legged table have long since been emptied out and rendered invisible. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and 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 as a and so. There's two things here. First of all, why is it – you guys can answer this in a second. Why is the guys that, that, that Jason particularly has me reading on metaphysics are some of the most artistic storytelling books that I've ever read that are speaking to me in a unique way? But in this, I've realized, though, that my creativity and my art in one way or another has been this soul-sucking – um, narrative mm-hmm. that I got to find the new hot thing. I got to find the new this, the new yeah, that, the yeah. new whatever the hot newness is and, and, and make that thing yeah. that hasn't been made before when the actual beauty and he goes on to say, but uh, have you ever seen the antique? <laughs> right. And you look at yeah. an antique table and you see it and it was crafted well and it's designed to just hold a coffee mug, <laughs> you know, right. or something like that. And, and, yeah. and, you, and you look at that thing and, you're, and you can see it in the story. And you're like, wow. Because we, when yeah. we're trying to get meaning for our life from our furniture, we will yeah. suck our furniture empty, right? We, yeah. we will just, right. we will empty it of any meaning mm. if we try to get meaning for our, any, any sort of existential ultimate meaning out mm. of it. Right? This is the book of Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Something yep. that's not designed to give you eternal meaning that you will um, completely empty of meaning by trying to get eternal meaning and from then it. make because a thousand ways to try and get to the meaning right. and, yeah 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 and abuse the That's object right. in the process <laughs> yeah, and yeah. We, we, yeah we do it with we do it with everything because yeah. we are we are created to get meaning right like the like the Westminster shorter says we're commi- we're created to get meaning from our from God. Right. That that's the size of the whole 
is infinite. <laughs> Let me finish this because this is yeah. in context with that. I, I know you got your book. I want I want to hear what you want to quote, but I want to say after hearing you guys talk about ways to fix this, all I can think about is I've done to, um, and I think all of us have one way or another. I've done to my family the very thing that I've done to that table. Yeah, that's why Jesus says yeah. he came with a sword to kill families. Okay, what? <laughs> right? He's, he says I came with a sword. To cut your family to pieces because you've idolized it. You've turned it into an idol. You're trying to get eternal meaning from it. Mm. The safest thing for your family is is to be slain by the sword of Christ. And and, and you know what? And and, and, in the resurrection of that, right, because it dies, right? But then it comes something that actually be that shows for like we were talking about this, Jason. Um, and what I was meaning, because you just took that a whole other way. I didn't even see that coming. That was like a, a, a it's like a left jab. If you try and put your hope on your family, your hope's too heavy. It's going to crush your family. No, absolutely. But I'm saying that I've taken it for granted in one way or another in in the sense of the beauty that it is in yeah. understanding the metaphysics of, of understanding the biblical metaphysics. Now I know what my wife is for. I know what yeah. my kids are for. I understand now what my house is for. We were talking about this whole month, this whole Pride Month, that everybody is losing their mind. I can't. This is the biggest time in my life that I've seen a Pride Month exaggerated, and <laughs> and everybody's trying to figure out a way to engage it. I'm watching Christians online trying to push against it, and Jason, <laughs> me and you were talking, and it was like, you know, one way we've already lost, yeah, because we've already trying yeah. to figure out, we're trying to get the laws to do all the work for it, all right. the dirty work for us. But the truth is, the doors of the home should be shining so bright that yeah. the yep. the you, way you, we you, fight. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Tom. Jump in there. No, but you're you're hitting it. Look, what is the one thing they can't have? Or, well, there's many things. There's many things. But but what is that pearl of great price they don't have access to that we do? You know that we we've been hiding under the bush, if you will. Right? We have not been putting it out there in the way this light. Like you said, it's either going to attract or it's going to detract in a full sense, but it is the one thing they don't have. And so they have a substitute for it. They're trying to find something there, and that has become the only place that they can kind of hold hold their meaning together is in this kind of um, this, this kind of willed and wanted identity. And, and so and so this is exactly the point. So when you ordering your life and love and family and all the things in the way they're created to be. There is a beauty that unfolds in that situation that is incomparable mm-hmm. with any of the cheap substitutes. But yes, what we've done is we've played into because we're so filled with selves and marriages now that it's about their fulfillment or their needs being met or, you know, I'm not happy anymore. What we've done is we've so turned mm. it again into a, ba- a bad table. That all of that beauty and artwork, which which it is meant to to unfold, has has become this mm. kind of thing that people want to be liberated out of and get away from. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. no, no, and, and 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 so I'm watching. Um, yeah, there's so much to say about this. So I, I looking at where when I think about how do we need to engage right now? How do we need to? I think a lot of the battles that I want to fight. Look, I, I host a show called Cross Politic. We we're dealing with politics, yeah. but people. The biggest part of our show, people miss out on, and is the very end of the show. If you're single, yeah. get married. <laughs> if you're yeah. married, have kids, mm-hmm. and if you have kids, go baptize them. 
That is not yep. love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as you said. That is the no matter what we do, the structure of what we're trying to say is orient yourself ultimately around yeah. God and the and yeah. who He is. Um, yeah. And, and we're, I'm not saying it directly, but it's indirect. The metaphysic structure that comes from yeah. that then that flows yeah. out into the family into a man who's yeah. loving a woman and giving his life for her and that woman taking the glory from that man and shining it out and giving him a seed that populates the earth with the joy of who they are made in the image of God right and yep. then that yep. working its way out into culture where they go find these lovely treasures that God has hidden in the earth for them and uncover it yep. and say hey neighbor let me love you with what this discovery I just found right all of those things yeah. All of yeah. a sudden create a different type of world. And so while we're sitting here trying to figure out like, how do we deal with, you know, for, uh, I hate yeah. to say like, but forgive me, Pride Month is like, you don't understand. Doggone it. You lost Pride Month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You, don't, don't worry about yeah. that. Don't, yeah. Don't even, you, you've almost like, you yeah. can forget about it. You've yeah. lost that yeah. because you've it, given up. I'm so, sorry. Go ahead, Tom. Well, yeah. You're yeah. Not, I mean, it, 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 pre it presumes that we're in we're going to win by being in competition in a market for for who's going to sell their their vision and that this is what i'm saying mm -hmm. we have something that that their market it's incomparable so when we get back to exhibiting that in the centrality of our lives and our faith our emphasis and our remapping of the world in light of it then we've got something that genuinely says this is a pearl of great price for mm. which you will go sell everything else you have to to get a hold of this. Where someone will say, "Look, can I buy it?" Remember the Book of Acts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, how much does that cost? Well, how? Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Jay. You have this well, something here. Well, yeah, because uh, we're talking. You know, the if the question is, how do we share this with our neighbors? Uh, in it made me think of one of the chapters in Lost in the Cosmos, uh, where he talks about. He just says. Is is an amazing book. You should all read it. But he just says, "Why is it that people cheer when they hear their city on the Johnny Carson show?" Oh, I, was, I was just yeah. reading that part. <laughs> I was just reading that part. And he, and he says, "Why?" Somebody says, "They says, oh, Chicago," and everybody applauds. And he says, "Is it because they're proud of Chicago? Is it because they're a member of the chambers of chamber of commerce? Why is it?" He says, "Or is it because a person, particularly a passive audience member, who finds himself in Burbank, California?" feels himself so dislocated, so detached from a particular coordinate in space and time, mm. so ghostly that the very mention of a coordinate is enough to startle him into action, right? Yeah. yeah. That, that's yeah, the brilliant. reality, right? Our, our neighbor across the street is dislocated from reality mm. because yeah. of yeah. their lack of relationship with Christ. I had a, a downstairs neighbor in an apartment that I lived in that, uh, you know, I, when you think, okay, what is what is the new Jerusalem going to be like? I I have committed to making sure I say hello to anyone who walks past in my neighborhood. Right? If I'm out mm -hmm. mowing the lawn, somebody walks past, I think, well, in heaven, I mean, in the new Jerusalem, after heaven, in the resurrection, people are going to say hi to each other. So I want a neighborhood like that. Who right? are you and what do you do? Yeah, so, <laughs> so I say, good morning, how are you? And I, I greet people when I mm. see them because I was like, oh, the, somebody made in the image of God. Their face shines Christ's face to me. I want to say hello, right? So, and, and I had a neighbor, a downstairs neighbor once. This was when I was just first realizing some of this stuff I, and committing to it. Started saying hello. And um, he would sit on his back porch and smoke cigarettes. And I decided I'm going to start 
when I see him out there smoking a cigarette, I'm going to grab a bottle of whiskey and a couple of glasses <laughs> and go down and join him, right? There is no yeah. door that I have not been able to open open with either chocolate or whiskey, mm. right? And so <laughs> go down and say, hey, hey, man, you know, I'm your neighbor upstairs. My name's Jason. What's your name? And we got to, to meet each other. Well, he would he would smoke pot sometimes, and I I brought a, a, a preemie home from the hospital, and when he would smoke pot, <laughs> it would fill my house with pot smoke. Mm. And so I went down. I was like, hey, man, I just need you to know that when you smoke pot here, it fills my apartment up. I got a preemie. And I can't have my apartment filled with pot smoke. So can you not smoke pot in your apartment anymore? And he was like, yeah, of course. Right? And this was back when pot was illegal. So at one, uh, one, <laughs> so long ago. <laughs> one, day, one day he smoked pot. Now he's like, you got to move. <laughs> so one, he, he smoked pot again. It filled my house up. And I went down. I was like, my friend, I'm going to have to call the cops on you if my – Apartment fills with pot smoke again because I got a preemie. It's not safe. And he's like, I, I know, I know, man. I'm so sorry. And a couple weeks later, he smoked <laughs> pot again. And so I called the cops. The next day, <laughs> 2 in the morning, I hear pounding on my door. And he and I'm like, and I look through the little peephole. And it's my neighbor. And I'm like, he's pissed because I called the cops on him. So I was like, honey, to Aaron, go lock yourself in the room. With the kids, I'm going to answer the door. And I answer the door, and he's like, hey, I just want to say thank you. I said, what? I want to say thank you for warning me before you call the cops on me. That's the nicest thing anybody's ever done to me. Wow. And I was like, brother, you've lived a hard life if that's the nicest thing. Come on in. Right? Yeah. So he comes in, and and he sits down, and, and he's drunk, and we start talking, and and so I, I figure I got to keep this conversation going long enough that he starts to get sober, so I can explain the gospel to him. Yeah, yeah. And so about about three in the morning, I'm telling him about you know Jesus dying for him, and he said, "I was raised in the church. I ran away at 14. I haven't talked to my parents since." And I said, "I've got a phone here. Let's call him." Wow. Right? So we wow. call his parents. Wow. We call his parents, and it's the first time he, he's he's 20 years old. It's the first time he's talked to his parents since he was 14. His parents don't even know he's alive. Right, he's got it on speakerphone. Wow. I hear his his mom and dad start to cry. Ugh, right, we're, I'm right, about to cry. Right, Shut so, up. So we're, yeah, 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 we're, yeah. We're talking, and and he is he, and he's saying, look, and he's telling his parents, hey, I just became a Christian. I didn't know this. Right? <laughs> hey, well, this is news. So, and he's like, is that? And I just want you to know that I'm okay, and I'm so sorry that I've put you through this. Right. So he, and so he starts having this regular conversation with his parents. He comes over and he's like, I'm going to go see my parents. So we pray together. He goes and visits his parents. He comes home and he's like, it went really well. They've become Christians while I was gone. Right. We we grew up going to church together, but they weren't really Christians. And since I've been gone, they have also become Christians. They started praying for me the week before the whole incident went down. This whole incident. Right. So Uh, there are small groups. So, I'm going to go visit him. He goes and visits him. He comes back, and he's like, I think I need to move back home to the town I'm from. I was like, I think you're right. So he moves back home. About a year and a half later, he shows up at my door again, and he wants me to meet his fiance. Right? Like this. I'm like, so this is not. Oh, wow. this 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 is the Holy Spirit. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of somebody, right? This isn't a technique. Mm, this is right. this is just 
okay, Lord, you're working in my life. I want to see, I want to see your light stretched beyond my fingers. Mm-hmm. Right? What is it going to look like? Well, what's it going to look like in the resurrection? I'm going to live that way. And yeah. right, you're obviously going to share whiskey with your neighbors in the resurrection. So you, you, you might as well start, start doing, doing, it doing it now, now right? Yeah. So start doing it now. Yeah. So they don't have. They are ghosts that are detached from creation. Jesus, yeah. by his spirit, has reattached us to creation, to history. Preach, because we're not Gnostics, right? That yeah. We're not saved from right. creation. We're not saved from history. We're reattached to it by the spirit of so God. So just toss this in there. So most of our eschatology is Gnosticism. Just want to say that. Anyway, yeah, go amen. ahead. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> and, our, and our sacramentology. Oh, oh, oh. That, we might have yeah. to get into the sacraments <laughs> on another segment. We bought to, we got to yeah. get this, man. So um, one of the things you didn't finish reading in the book because I was reading that last night, and the and the second half of that gets crazier because he basically, I, I, to paraphrase him, he says, uh, everybody thinks it's good news because, you know, it's, they, they're identified. But imagine that you went to another city in Texas, and then from Texas you somehow went to outer space, and you ended up on a, you don't even know, you assume it's a planet of some sort, but then you get to this planet, and you're like, man, you know, you're missing home, you, you like to go back home, and you see a sign, and it says, New York, the place where you're from, New York, 6.7 light years away. What's your response then? Are you hooting and hollering? Yeah. No, you're not. And Johnny Carson's show you was hooting and hollering because he said your place. But all of a sudden, your perspective of where you're at in the reality is yeah. is true. And now you're like, I, I am done. Right. 6.7 <laughs> light years away. But with the gospel, though, that is the bridge to home. Yeah. Yeah. To what yeah. you what you truly should be. You're right. reattached to you're reality. Rea- that's reattached Re- to reality. Oh. And, the, and that that point right there uh, kind of kind of wrap uh, with that bring, brings us back around to that whole thing of metaphysics because one of the things that I mean even even uh, Plato and the and, and some of the the philosophers which which early Christians found very favorable was this notion that when you begin like, like all philosophy begins in wonder and that that wonder is the sheer fact that when one encounters anything within the world that they should be blown away by it because it does not contain within itself its reason for being. And the fact that it is automatically shows that there is some infinite source who is being itself that has brought it there. And so Christians, when they fill that out, purify it, and order it in in their full vision, recognize that creation in all of its createdness is at every moment dependent on the infinite source in order to be, and that when we have illumined um, that creation in light of Christ's resurrection, we begin to see every little, tiny, small thing is filled with the sheer wonder and beauty of God, because it is that very source that is making that little creaturely thing be in front of you right now. You are always in relationship to that beauty that God is, even though we can't see it in our fallenness and our idolatry, right? Mm. That's why the creation, even in, as it grows, still manifests the, inv- the power and the invisible attributes of God, and we suppress it. But in Christ, when we begin to get a glimpse of it again, more and more, we begin to see that everything that is um, is because of him, and that we are that close to. Matter of fact, Augustine's line was, God is so transcendent, and different than us, um, that 
um, the best way to express it is he's closer to me than I am to my own self. Mm. In other words, he's so imminent that he is never located within me in the sense that he can be contained there. But I am contained in the fact that he is. <laughs> and that's so, enough. Uh, that, 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 that's <laughs> enough. For, I can't. My head. I just. No, I can't. Mm. You know, y'all, we gotta, I don't know how we do this, but we gotta, this is, this stuff's amazing. And it's, it's making a lot of truths that I believe come to life in ways that, um, I wish that we were all having this kind of conversation. I wish that we were making, um, and not making the gospel, but understanding the gospel in such a way that is so robust to the, how it touches the world. And the reason that it doesn't is because the way that we, our thinking has been so tainted by, um, Modernism, secularism, yeah. you know, uh, uh, yeah. our metaphysic has been altered in such a way that we have truncated such the beauty of what we have yeah. in the gospel. And we need to dig that out again. And so, guys, I just want to keep yeah. having this conversation with you as we move forward. I, I don't know. Right now, this series is at round three. <laughs> And we just keep having it, you know. I, um, I'm grateful Amen. for you guys, man. You brothers, it's amazing to me that this conversation hasn't been far more prominent inside of Christendom. I, I just Amen. cannot believe. Yeah. God has to convince yeah. you you're dead before you desire a resurrection, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the problem is so many people who are, have been re- resurrected don't see the need for this conversation. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. so, you know, Tom, you're, you're teaching systematic theology. Uh, Jason, yeah. you're, you're a pastor, right? You were a pastor. I mean, technically, I'm a comedy writer right now. You're a comedy writer right now, <laughs> but you're an elder. And, you know, to, you guys have a handle on humans. We're not even there. Yeah. We're not even yeah. there. Yeah. And I'm about to, yeah. I, I mean, I can't talk about what I'm about to do at SBC because that's not public yet. But I'm just saying, SBC is about to have an event, <laughs> you know, where the, all these things are going to be conversed. And they're going to have a conversation, vote out critical race theory, and all intersectionality, all this stuff, women pastors, all this kind of stuff going on. Russell Moore is dropping bombs on people like he's like, uh, you know, a political <laughs> yeah. assassin. It's amazing. And, and yeah. at the heart of it, we have a metaphysical problem that nobody's having the conversation on. Right. That's at yeah. the very yeah. heart of it. Yep. And so we're playing power yeah. games. And so we're playing. Po- that's exactly. And so now can I get the vote to have this? Can I get the vote not to have that? And it's like, y'all need to yeah. repent. Yeah. You're out of order. Yeah. The people are telling Tom Askell that if he gets up there to say something like, um, I, oh, I'm going to get in trouble. I, I need to not say stuff like that. I need to, I need to stop. Let's just end that there. But it's better to be but, out of order but, and be with Christ. But that's what I'm saying. People are, are exactly. I, I always tell people it's better to be in the wilderness with Jesus than yeah. back at, at, at Egypt with Pharaoh. Right. Whatever the situation yeah. is, it's always better to be with Jesus in the wilderness. Because the man is always going to be better. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Nana is always going to be better. All right. Hey, guys, man, thank you so much for this. Y'all take out yeah, so much time you. in your schedule, and I appreciate it. Tom, um, I appreciate you, man. I don't you, – you need to – I hope you're writing a book or something. Yeah, I'm oh. working on one this summer, and uh, I've got, I mean, I've got a few, uh, a few book ideas in, uh, uh, you know, unfolding, but uh, I'm definitely doing one that's retrieving some of this kind of stuff we've talked about. And I want to make it more accessible. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of accessible material covering this stuff. And sometimes it's even hard to think through because it's territory for evangelicals or reform folks is, is you know, it's, uh, it's places where people are very uncomfortable. And a lot of it is because they, they, they really have, are that far removed from it. And, uh, and so, yeah, pray, pray for me. And, uh, and definitely uh, I look forward to sharing more about that.